You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, but the Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Being in the playoffs, you're like, this is the real f***ing deal. Whatever I thought was tough, that is nothing. And it's something from year five to year six. I was like, yeah, okay, I put on seven pounds of muscle. Bro, I'm the most dominant guy in the f***ing league. I'm just going to go and f***ing dunk it. You can get away with it to a point. It's good if you're able to do it, but I gotta be more skilled. I gotta get back to my old self. Think like a guard, not as a big. I'm Aaron Fishman, and that was Giannis Adetokounmpo, two days after his Bucks were eliminated from the playoffs, speaking bluntly and colorfully to the Athletics' Eric Name, who will be today's guest on the podcast. Giannis led the 2018-19 Milwaukee Bucks to 60 wins, and a 2-0 lead in the Eastern Conference Finals. Then, Game 3 went to double OT, with the Raptors edging the Bucks before Toronto reeled off three more wins, terminating one of the best seasons in Bucks franchise history. Eric will be discussing this Bucks team, which ranked first and fourth in defensive and offensive efficiency respectively, with a particular emphasis on the immense strides they made this year, Giannis's likely MVP season, why they ultimately fell short of the NBA Finals, and how they're likely to approach this critically important offseason. Naturally, Eric, who can also be found co-hosting the Locked On Bucks podcast, had much to say on these topics. For Bucks fans and anyone else interested, just before the season, Eric published 100 Things Bucks Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. You can find that in paperback on Amazon. Anyway, we have lots to discuss, so why don't we get to it? We absolutely loved having you on the show previously, and the Bucks are almost certainly going to be a team that any self-respecting NBA fan will want to know more about for years to come. As such, I'm thrilled to bring you back. How's it going, Eric? Uh, I mean, I wish I was covering NBA Finals right now, but other than that, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do, and and the Bucks do as well, but... Just a remarkable season, 60 wins for them. Giannis, the likely MVP, we'll get into all of that. But before we get into that phenomenal season, I'm going to open with what's probably a pretty pointless hypothetical, but I'm genuinely curious what you think on this before we move on to more pressing matters. Obviously, I know particular matchups are critical, but given just what you've seen in the NBA Finals thus far, What's your best guess as to where the Bucks would be standing after the first two games in Milwaukee? Whew. Um, I think maybe a one-one split. Like I think this Bucks team was really talented this year. This Bucks team has given the Warriors problems for I mean a long time now, uh, and with no Durant, I think they'd do even better. The only problem is that they've given the Warriors problems during the regular season and. During the regular season, regular season, Eric Bledsoe shows up. Uh, during the playoffs, the postseason version of Eric Bledsoe shows up. And that guy isn't quite as good. 
Um, and that guy struggles a little bit. So, you know, throughout the regular season, we saw him just dominate the matchup with Kyle Lowry. And, well, that that didn't happen in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the opposite yeah. of that happened where, where Bledsoe was almost, uh, you know, unplayable for portions of that series. So that would be the only concern. So, um, you know, going into the playoffs, I would have said, you know, I think the Bucks feel pretty good uh, about going up against the Warriors. And, you know, that's one of the things they have in their back pocket, like a new and improved Eric Bledsoe. And then, you know, that didn't really happen in the postseason. So, um yeah, I would. I guess I would say a split, but honestly, I don't know how confident I actually am in that. <laughs> Thanks for humoring me. I know kind of a weird question, but yeah. So the first time we had you on a little more than a year and a half ago, we devoted the entire episode to discussing Giannis Antetokounmpo. Here we are now, and Giannis is expected to take home his first MVP trophy at 24 years old. He was 22, almost 23 last time we spoke he also led the bucks to an eastern conference finals berth in our interview back then you called him a quote kobe level lunatic and you said he's just totally obsessed with the game of basketball how has that insight informed the exit interview that he did with you <laughs> recently and and just what he said he hopes to accomplish this offseason and moving forward yeah i mean i think I mean, honestly, I was kind of shocked uh, two days after, you know, the most crushing defeat of his career being up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference final, losing the next four games, that there there was there's plenty of profanity used uh, in yeah. my article at The Athletic. But, you know, even with that, it wasn't – I thought when we first started talking, it was just going to be, you know, anger and, uh, you know, just throwing some cusses around because cause he was mad and – you know, all of a sudden you just kind of start to listen to it and it's really insightful. And, you know, he, he kind of figured out that, you know, it is okay that, you know, this year I was the most dominant player in the league that, you know, I could just dunk on everyone and that, you know, the Bucks offense kind of created that and, you know, kind of helped foster that type of environment for him. But at the same time, you didn't feel like when he needed another spot, to go to at the end of games and in the Eastern Conference Finals, he didn't have one. And so much this year, you know, Mike Boonholzer focused on, all right, we're going to make sure that you're taking as many shots as possible at the rim. He took 66% of his shots at the rim, which is just an insane percentage yeah. for someone with his usage rate. And then, uh, you know, he takes 21% of his shots from the mid-range and then the rest from the three-point line. And there's kind of this polarization of, you know, you add 13% of his shots at, from the three-point line and, 80% of his shots are either at the rim or from the three-point line and just 20% from the mid-range. So he wasn't really comfortable in that in that area. And if I remember correctly, I think this is his best uh, long two-percentage shooting season. It was either this year or last year. But, you know, in our interview, he said, I was more comfortable last year. And I don't know that the numbers were all that different, but I do know that he took a lot more last year. And he was in those situations a lot more last year. And that was one of the things that he mentioned in the interview is just kind of, I knew what I needed to do. I just couldn't really execute it. And if you go back and watch the film of game six, which I did for the article, like after having that conversation, you know, I looked back at it and you could kind of see like he was finding step back jumpers and he was finding different places where he could affect the game without getting a dunk. 
uh, and without taking a three, but he was just missing those shots. And it's, it's another one of those spots where I guess a, a less mature 24 year old would, would just be angry and, you know, not really thinking about exactly how he gets better, but here's Giannis two days later saying, you know, I got to find a way to be more comfortable in the mid range. I have to, uh, during the series, I was watching Kawhi Leonard and learning from him and how he goes about it and how patient he is and how he gets to his spots. So I got to find a way to do that myself. And I just thought it was a, a really mature look at, you know, a young player who could have just said, you know, I'm the MVP. Uh, I was the most dominant player in the league this year. I'm going to do it again next year and I'm going to get better. But instead he he was really introspective and thinking about different ways that he can improve. Yeah. Just so intense with his quotes, but also focused. I mean, you you know, Giannis, you've talked to him a lot, so you know, he's anything but immature, but maybe on the outside you see peripherally, he's a 24 year old. And um, like you said, he just lost the most important series of his career thus far. You'd think maybe it would just be throwing around a lot of cuss words, kind of being all over the place. But you got really, at least I got the sense that he knew exactly what he needed to do moving forward and that he was supremely confident that he would be able to do it. Yeah, that that is always kind of the crazy thing with him is that you know, that's kind of where some of the, the Kobe level stuff comes in. Like he is always really thinking the game and, uh, you know, in a, in a moment where he could have had the, I mean, it was the greatest professional frustration of his career that he didn't come off that way. He came off as someone who had really considered what was going on in that series and considered what he should be doing going forward and how he can improve. And I, I don't want to say that's not normal, but you know, it is. I think it is unique to be able to feel that anger and feel that disappointment, but also be introspective enough to look inside and actually think about how you can impact a game going forward. So, I just came away from that that conversation really, really impressed. And I mean, I don't know that that'll be a surprise to anyone. Just kind of with everything people have read or heard about Giannis, but. You know, talking to him in that moment, I was struck by just, you know, how mature it all was. Mm -hmm. And he also had that quote saying that Marcus Saul and Kawhi Leonard made him a better player and that they'll continue to motivate him to get better. And you touched upon this in your response, but specifically it was that area of the mid range where he saw Kawhi doing it really successfully, but he wasn't really able to tap into that part of his game successfully you think, like you touched upon, though, he's capable of uh, hitting those mid-range shots. It, it just seemed to be, like what he said, you think uh, a confidence thing because he didn't take as many during the year? Was that the sense you were getting? Yeah, to me, I think it was, it was kind of confidence that it, mm-hmm. overall, I, I just, he just didn't take as many of those type of shots. He, he still took some mid-rangers, but... He didn't take the same type of mid-rangers and he didn't take ones where, you know, he was backing down somebody or, uh, you know, he was taking a little turnaround or just like kind of rising up over someone that they were, they were different looks than they were last year. And uh, to me, I thought the biggest thing was I'm not expecting we're going to see Giannis come out here and all of a sudden try to be Jason Tatum. Uh, yeah. he's, he's, he's not, he's not going to be just gunning from the mid range. It, to me, it sounded like a player that I don't want to say was frustrated with his role or anything like that, but in Milwaukee, they made it where you had two options. 
you were either going to double team Giannis and you were going to triple team, quadruple team him, like go out there and you you're going to force the ball out of his hands and you know make him kick it out to a three point shooter, or you were going to say, all right, we'll we'll just handle it one on one and Giannis can try to score. 80 on the night and like those were those were the two options for defenses and the five out offense around him really forced that issue and I think during the Eastern Conference Finals it got to a spot where guys weren't making shots and in that I don't want to say he's helpless but you know I, I think he wanted to have a little bit more agency over the game in how it went where all right, if my option is you're going to come in here and quadruple team me and my only reaction is to kick it out to a shooter and those shooters keep missing shots, well, I think after a while you get you get tired of doing it. You, you want to be able to affect the game some other way. And if you're not going to let me have dunks, well, then I got to find a different shot that I can get to mm-hmm. and a, a different spot that I can get to where I can have that control back in my hands, where I don't let it go to someone else, where it's it's a good shot but they're just not hitting it. I, I want to have that agency back in my hands. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that was largely, I think the motivating factor behind all of this. Well said. We fittingly started with a lot on the Greek freak, but now I want to get to the Robin, to his Batman, Chris Middleton. He'll be a free agent, assuming that he's going to opt out. And why wouldn't he? Cause he can make a lot more money. Um, you did a good article on the pairing in February. They've been through a lot together over the past six seasons. I guess I'll just ask you, most simply, why does it work so well with those two and how far have they come together? Um, I, I think it works well because, and I don't, I don't even know the best way to say this, but like, I think Chris just really understands Giannis. And Giannis really appreciates guys that, that play hard, show up every night and, you know, can, can go out and actually take care of business. And, you know, I just remember when Chris Middleton had his hamstring tear off its bone and he missed uh, the the first 50 games of a season uh, a few years back, like when he came back, they, they went on a winning streak. And I just remember asking you, you know, what was the difference? He's like, it's Chris, like, that's Mm -hmm. it. Like just having Chris around is the difference. I trust him. Like I know that he's going to execute what I need and he's going to play defense hard and he's going to be able to contribute. Like I just have that trust in him. And I think kind of how that has gone is that they just have a a really strong understanding of how they work together. Uh, You know, he knows that if he kicks it out to Chris for a three, Middleton's going to hit it. And he knows that, okay, if they run a pick and roll together, Chris knows when he's going to hit me on the roll and he knows when he's going to take it himself. Like, I just think it it works well together, even though they are both wings essentially, or I guess, I mean, Giannis plays the four, Chris plays the two, three, whatever you want to say. Like maybe it's not a point guard, big kind of pairing, but it, in the modern NBA, it is kind of like what wing, what a wing pairing, you know, you might want it to look like uh, mm-hmm. where Giannis can help out with some of the rim protection. Chris can switch a bunch of different things. He can also defend other teams, number ones. And because he can defend the the league's best wings, guys like Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis can stay on the backside and just be the free safety and, and attempt to, you know, just try to just wreak havoc essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so like it all 
just kind of works. And then on top of it, there's just like no frills. Like Chris doesn't really have an ego. Uh, he, he doesn't really go out there and, uh, you know, demand more shots or anything like that. Like Chris kind of knows that, okay. in in the first quarter, I know that Giannis tries to, tr- to find the flow of the game. So we need a little bit more scoring in the first quarter. So in the first quarter, I do that. Then I know in the second and third quarter, that's when Giannis starts to feel the flow a little bit more in the third quarter. Giannis going to come out really strong. So I need to try to feed him, try to keep him going. And then in the fourth quarter, like there's probably going to be some times where I need to step in and hit some big shots. And then in the fourth quarter, that's exactly what I'll do. So mm-hmm. it, it, it just, I think they complement each other well, despite you know, maybe not being the most um, logical parent from the outside. I, I just think they work well together. Yeah. If for a while we knew how integral the 2019 offseason would be for the Bucks, in March, there was that big extension of Eric Bledsoe for four years and a lot of money. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So that took that one big move off the table. So building around Giannis, my understanding and I'd love to hear what you've gleaned from talking with the team and covering them this season is that there's not that much financial flexibility to bring in many players, especially high priced guys from the outside. It's more about retaining the key guys, chief among them, Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon, who's a restricted free agent. And then there are a couple other ones that were impactful that they may not be able to afford, maybe like Brooke Lopez or George Hill. What do you think about that? Uh, so to start, I think it's relatively easy and straightforward if they're willing to go into luxury tax to bring back Middleton, Brogdon, Lopez, and Hill. Uh, essentially, all they'd have to do is renounce Nikola Mirotic. Uh, that would give them cap space to sign Lopez. It would give them an extension or an exception, excuse me, open to uh, resign George Hill. And then Malcolm Brogdon is a restricted free agent. They can match whatever they want there. And then they have Middleton's bird rights, and they can go and give him an extra fifth year if they want to uh, give him a max. So they can. If they want to keep all four of those guys, I don't think the path to keeping is all that difficult. Um, it all depends, you know, what kind of crazy offers there are out there for any of those guys. Mm-hmm. All all four of them had, I, I would say, strong postseasons um, where I think if you're a, a team on the outside, you could probably talk yourself into signing any of those guys and, and giving them quite a bit of money. So um, I think that'll be the interesting thing. I don't really know where those, where those deals end up, but you know, it's certainly possible that there could be something a little bit crazy out there for one of them. And then, I mean, I think just looking at all of them individually, like Brooke Lopez was hugely important to this team. I think it's tough to think of someone that can block as many shots as he can and hit as many threes as he can. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, 50, 40, 90 guy, crazy efficient, uh, does all the little things, just kind of fills in any of the gaps that you have on the roster. It's going to be tough to find another guy like him. George Hill was, you know, as I already talked about, Eric Bledsoe not being great in the postseason. George Hill was the guy that filled in and, and made it so that I'm not going to say it didn't matter, but it didn't matter as much that, you know, your point guard wasn't playing up to his full potential because you had this great backup point guard coming off the bench. And then, you know, with Middleton, he's obviously a guy that's a a number two for the Bucks and first all-star game this year and defending Kawhi Leonard throughout the entirety of the Bucks Raptors series, lit up the Celtics for a second straight year in the postseason, uh, was good against the Pistons. Like he's someone that I think proved, 
I mean, at least to me, for Bucks fans, they don't really like Chris Middleton that much. So um, I'm sure they'll tell you that he was, you know, terrible in the playoffs and disappeared and all this stuff, which is dumb. But they'll tell you that. But I thought without a shadow of a doubt, like he proved that he's a 16 game player. Like that's a guy that every year you can count on in the playoffs. So at all these guys, like you do really want to resign them because if you don't, there is not space. Like the reason they're going to be able to sign them is because uh, Brogdon is a restricted free agent. Middleton, you have those bird rights on. Uh, Lopez is difficult because it was a one-year deal. So he's like the one guy that you, you know, like him and Hill are both going to be more difficult, but also you hope that they're both veterans and want to stay in Milwaukee. But really in any of these spots, if you lose one of those guys, like it's one of those situations where you don't just magically get $30 million in space. Like if Chris Middleton gets 30 million a year, you don't just get 30 million in space. Like the reason you can keep Chris Middleton is because you can go up and beyond. So right. if you lose Chris Middleton, you probably have like uh, 18, $20 million in space. And if you want to try to get an outside free agent, like that means you're going to have to uh, let Middleton go. You're going to have to probably let Brogdon go. Like, or you're going to have to let Lopez and Hill go. And then even, I don't even think you're going to have like a large enough max for like the biggest guys. It would only be like a seven to eight year max. And it's like, well, what, what are you even after? Like, go, who is it that's out there that, you know, is really going to make this team better. And uh, I, that's always been the point that we've, try to drive home in regards to Middleton is, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy to say that, you know, there's 30 players in the NBA better than Chris Middleton in, you know, maybe you want to bump it down to 35 or 40 players better than Chris Middleton. Like that's all fine, but how are you getting one of those 30 or 40 players? Like who is that person? There's not that many guys out there. So you better be a hundred percent sure you're getting one of those guys because if you don't get one of those guys, you're going to settle for someone that isn't as good as Chris Middleton was. You're going to downgrade in talent and you're going to do all of that. And you've given up the longest tenure teammate Giannis has ever had. So you're going to do all of those things for a chance at a free agent that you didn't get. You're going to be less talented and you have to sign Giannis to a super max extension next summer. Yeah, when you put it like that, highly unlikely that they would go that route and extremely risky. Unless they have a very yes. specific plan, which none of us have any semblance of. Yeah, it, it, again, like maybe there is. Uh, these owners have never uh, you know, been afraid to try to go out there and, and make big plays. And obviously, they got Greg Monroe, which was a huge sign at the time, which is crazy to look back on because of how much the NBA changed and you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, how it didn't work out, really. But you know that was a huge sign at the time. They beat the Lakers and they beat the Knicks in free agency. Like The Milwaukee Bucks beat them in free agency. That's, that's not normal. That's not how this, this typically goes. So the owners aren't afraid to try to do something like that, but... Uh, you know, you don't want to be brash in doing it and yeah. all of a sudden just blow up your entire team. You just made a very compelling argument for why the Bucks should run it back. They were so close to getting to the NBA Finals and to even winning a championship this season, it seemed like. Um, so is there a particular area that the team would hope to improve by doing that? Or would it just be retaining what they did this previous offseason, which was just getting those shooters around Giannis and, and then um, 
just ramping up their three-point frequency and just having that middle-out game that was just so dominant offensively? Um, I mean, I, I think in this, I, I've said this to anyone who will listen, and I mean, obviously it's somewhat influenced by hearing Giannis talk to me about it, but if Giannis is Giannis isn't in that series, they win. If Fred Van Vliet doesn't turn into Steph Curry for the final games of the series, the Bucks win. Like, uh, I know there's always, you know, when you don't make it to the finals, there's always the desire to be like, oh man, you gotta, you gotta figure out what was wrong and you gotta fix it. And it's just like, well, is there anything that really needs fixing or could it just go a little bit better? And I, I, I've said this line a couple times on radio and stuff like that, but. So the reason they didn't win this year is Giannis wasn't Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals. If you give me the chance to bet on Giannis being Giannis or Giannis being even better next year, I will take that bet 10 out of 10 times. Like If that's all I have to bet on for the Bucks to make an NBA Finals, I think that's a pretty safe bet. And I just think when you look around the rest of the Eastern Conference, I don't think any of us really know how this goes. I don't think we know if Kawhi stays in Toronto. I don't know if we know that Kyrie stays in Boston, if Boston ends up trading for Anthony Davis. Like, we don't, we don't know any of those things. We don't know how this works. And because we don't know how this works, you know, I think there is some, something to be said for running it back. But we'll just have to see yeah. at the end if, if that makes sense. I think that's fair. He's 24. He gets better each and every year. And it just seems like he just has so much room left before he hits the ceiling. Uh, but I'm nitpicking, obviously, because he put his heart and soul onto the court. And um, he's just so phenomenal. But I just am curious about his uncharacteristically bad free throw shooting the last four games. I think it was like 17 for 36 over the last four games. Do you think it was more that he was exhausted just from battling on both ends of the court? or? Could it have been maybe nerves or frustration kicking in at that point? Uh, to me, uh, he's struggled with free throws in the playoffs the last couple of years. So I do think there is something there. And I, I didn't really like think about, I mean, obviously I thought about it and I've asked him about it before. And, you know, he'll always tell you that there's nothing different and he's not feeling any different or anything like that at the free throw line. Uh, but there was a quote in that article, or my last article at The Athletic with Giannis about, you know, he mentioned the idea that, you know, the only things I could get in that in that series against the Raptors was, you know, easy ones in transition and free throws. And, you know, that was it. And to me, that didn't sound like someone that was like, yeah, I got to the free throw line a bunch. <laughs> that sounded yeah. like someone who was like, was pissed that he didn't get to dunk on everyone. That like he didn't he didn't get to go out there and you know get the dunks that he normally yeah. gets like because if you look across the floor like when Kawhi Leonard gets fouled he's gonna say thank you for the two points hit both free throws and that's gonna be that and that to Giannis it, it just felt like when he said that to me it wasn't someone saying oh yeah like this is this is great. I'm at the free throw line. It was like, oh, man, I really wish I would just got to dunk it and this was an and one or something like that. I think your reading of it is accurate. It sounds like frustration um, and kind of like a half full, half empty thing where rather than be happy or, or appreciative that he's getting 10 free throw attempts per game, it's I'm not getting easy dunks like I did the bulk of the Celtics series. So it comes down to ridiculously high expectations for Giannis and then 
maybe just failing to meet his otherworldly expectations. Yeah, I mean, uh, I brought it up before the Eastern Conference Finals, his free throw shooting to him, and he's he doesn't hide from it. He's like, yeah, I haven't made free throws. But um, I just think, you know, when you look through what he's been doing, that he'll keep trying to improve on it. And uh, I, I think that the big thing will be to see if he actually does it. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that, you know, he has the answer for why he's he's struggled from the free throw line in the postseason. And uh, I think he'll have to do a little soul searching this this offseason and see if he can figure it out. Yeah, this is obvious to note. But before I move on to the next topic, I just want to emphasize that we are not blaming Giannis for the Bucks' defeat. And the bench was really underwhelming other than George Hill. And even he didn't really score that much, even though he was really impactful in that series against the Raptors. There really wasn't a lot of bench depth that showed up for the team. And um, as great as Giannis is, when you come up against a, a team spearheaded by Kawhi Leonard and he just stifles you offensively and you can't do what you want to do, you're going to need that help from, from the bench. And they didn't really get that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. This is Howard Beck of Bleacher Report, and I am on the NBA beat. I did want to move on to the decision to extend Eric Bledsoe's contract. So it'll be for four more years for an average of $17.5 million per year. What are the biggest pros and cons with um, investing so much in him? What you're hoping you're getting is that uh, you're going to see an all-defense player, and that's what he was this year. He was first-team all-defense. And I guess you're hoping that the guy that showed up this year shows up again. Like He had... I would say probably the best year of his career when he was both focused offensively and defensively, he was an absolute menace on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, he deserved that first team, all defensive uh, honor offensively. He, he cut out a lot of the bad shots and the mistakes that he's made in the past. He was getting to the rim more often. He was hitting threes. Um, so I thought, you know, that was the the best season of his career. But when you looked at the contract, like, I, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, I will pat myself on the back. I'm not here to do it, but I will. Uh, when he signed it for 17, in my mind, I said that's someone who's scared to make more money because if you thought you were going to be great in the postseason, it, Bledsoe could have made up to $20 million, like maybe even more. I, I think he could have made five-plus more million per year uh, if he has a great postseason, if he plays the way that he does during the regular season, he shuts down Kyle Lowry. He goes in the NBA Finals and has a, the exact same kind of impact he did against Steph Curry defensively in the regular season. That dude is getting paid twenty plus million dollars because that is an incredible basketball player. On the flip side, if he had a postseason like he did last year, which he kind of did, he looked borderline unplayable in the in the series against the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. He could have made as little as, I don't know, $12, $13 million a year. Like, sure, you're getting the all defense, but eh, what's he going to be for you offensively? Can you play him in the playoffs? Uh, so to me, you had like a $10 million range there. And in the middle is where they decided on it. Bledsoe is a clutch sports guy. And uh, I would say throughout his, his time negotiating, Rich Paul has done a great job getting a number of guys big contracts and uh you know kind of flexing on, on other teams and 
there's also been times where they've just taken a deal. I, I think John Wall uh, could have gotten an extra year uh, if they waited another year on the extension. He could have got uh, even more money. And instead, they decided to settle and, and take the extension there. And, well, it ended up being a good decision because obviously he he has all this money now. With the injury, obviously, you didn't know that was coming. But, well, you know, that, that can kind of be the, the danger. So I thought it was a safe contract for Bledsoe at the time. Bucks fans want to paint as he took a discount. I painted as he was someone who wanted to get his money. Like he wanted to make sure he got his money and got more of it than he would have if something went wrong in the postseason. And well, something went wrong in the postseason. So those are the pros and cons. Uh, I, I think that locks them into their future, essentially. Like if you hadn't signed that one, you know, maybe you can consider letting Eric Bledsoe go at the end of the year. Maybe maybe you let the contract run out and you decide to go get a different point guard. Yeah. And it's not quite as messy this offseason. But uh, they decided to lock him in. Uh, like I said, I think for his regular season production, $17 million is probably a little bit on the cheap side. Um, but for his postseason production, I think it's an overpay. So that's kind of the spot that they put themselves in. Yeah, he'll be locked in through his age 32 season. So they're making a commitment to him. And he does have some history of knee injury, but he's been healthy for the last number of years. So that appears to be behind him. But um, yeah, like you said, they're committing to him. And, and so they've locked in their core, barring what they do this offseason. Mike Budenholzer, as we wind down, was unquestionably a huge part of the Bucks' 60-win season in his first year at the helm. How would you assess his performance on a number of different metrics, just whatever you'd like to touch upon that helped turn this franchise around this year? He entered the season with a very clear vision of how this team would play. Uh, on defense, they were going to take away the rim. They were not going to foul, and they were going to force teams to shoot above the break threes. On offense, they were going to spread the floor. They're going to play five out, and they were going to let Giannis try to get to the rim. And if you decide to take that away, they were going to kick it out and shoot threes. And he installed it successfully. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly how they won 60 games. Both that offensive and defensive vision really came through, and, and that made them a great regular season team. I think going into the year, and I mean, I think just period, the – the question about him has always been, can Bud make the adjustments he needs to make in the postseason? And, or is he just going to stay in, in the, you know, kind of style that he's played through throughout the regular season? Because that was always the, that was always the critique of him as his Hawks teams didn't find the ultimate success of going to the NBA finals or winning an NBA championship, which, you know, is maybe a fair, unfair, uh, expectation of those teams probably unfair because they didn't have a superstar uh but even with that being said there was always the critique that he wouldn't adjust and you know i thought we saw him in the celtic series they lost game one he comes on game two and he has totally changed their defense they're switching a lot more and and, and they're doing things differently on that end uh we saw him change starting lineups throughout the postseason uh we saw him not afraid to shake things up so whether or not he would adjust, I thought he answered that question, and it's very clear that he is willing to adjust. Now, do the adjustments work? 
That is a fair question. Uh, I thought against the Raptors, they decided to defend Kawhi Leonard totally different in game five. I thought it was a total mistake. I thought they had defended him well through the first four games. And, you know, it might have cost them game five, honestly, uh, just because Kawhi puts together this nine assist performance to go along with his 30 points. And all of a sudden you have a, a really impressive outing for him. Uh, so there is some question about whether or not he'll have the right adjustments when it comes down to it. But to me, I thought the, the larger critique that he doesn't adjust is, is not accurate, but you know, maybe there is some questions about if he'll get the absolute most out of his team uh, in the postseason. So those will persist. But I mean, overall that's to me, that's a coach of the year kind of season. Oh yeah. I definitely agree with that. A huge first step to with this franchise in Bud's first season there but when you have a superstar like Giannis Antetokounmpo at, at this stage of his career, I think if Budenholzer doesn't win a championship with him, then he's going to be criticized and fairly so. But I just want to finish with a Giannis question, had to do another one. I really appreciate your time, by the way. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'll just keep it short. He's likely to win the MVP. You think he'll win it over Harden? And do you think it'll be close? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I do think he'll win it, and I don't think it'll be close. I, I thought it was going to be close until, I don't know, probably the final month or so of the season, and then it it just got to a, a spot where it just seemed like every voter I talked to, you know, every writer that, you know, I ended up discussing with it in the final month of the season was just like, yeah, Giannis the MVP. Uh, so I, I really did think it was going to be – pretty close like 50 50 ish uh or obviously 51 49 um for most of the season uh, i thought that's what it would be and then i just thought in the final month everyone appeared to just kind of agree that he was the mvp so uh to me i think he'll co- he'll come away with it i wouldn't be shocked if by the end the voting goes like 70 30 or something like that uh where he ends up getting gain a bunch of the votes and uh, ends up getting his first MVP season. Just with James Harden, what he's doing statistically and the large percentage that he accounts for of their points, if you include the assists as well, I just think that's a huge testament to Giannis' season that it may not be close given just the extraordinary season that James Harden has had. But if you look at Giannis' stats, it's just mind-boggling. He played the fewest minutes of his career since the 14-15 season, yet his efficiency was way up. And that helps to have an improved supporting cast that really allowed him to rest more minutes, but many more points in the paint. Rebounds were up to a career high 12 and a half per game, career best assists per game. He's getting to the line at a career best rate. You just go down the line and there's nothing that you can pinpoint where he regressed at all in any way, shape or form. Yeah, and I mean, I I think Harden was unbelievable this season. Like, I I think it was just absolutely incredible, kind of what he was able to do. Um, but you know, in the end, it, you were talking about a team that uh, essentially wire to wire was just really good and was was there and didn't need to save the season or anything like that where you know Harden has this huge push in in a month where it's just unbelievable to see what he did and he leads the Rockets back in the playoff race like well it's tough to lead your team back into the playoff race when they were never out of it 
when, when yeah, they're putting up, uh, you know, one of the league's best records. So, or the league's best record, excuse me, not one of them. Um, and I just thought the consistency from Giannis was, was just so impressive. Agreed. Thanks so much, Eric. Enjoy the rest of the finals. And um, I know it'll be a busy offseason for you and the Bucks. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. <laughs>